A few years ago, uh, around 2016, I went and visited a small city called Tonopah. And listeners to the show might already be familiar with Tonopah, Nevada, because it is the home of the Clown Motel, the place we have done an episode on, a place that I have stayed the night at, filled with hundreds and hundreds of clowns, clowns everywhere. <laughs> and one of the things I did, besides sleeping in the Clown Motel, was I went and explored the Tonopah Historic Mining Park. If the word park makes you think of rolling green grass uh, with nice little quiet benches, or maybe even more like a Wild West theme park where everything has been made to look old but is actually, you know, all kind of manufactured. The Tonopah Historic Mining Park is neither of those. It is really the real deal. It is an actual old mine, acres and acres of it. And as I wandered around, you know, you see all of these relics, these old dusty miner shacks, these huge wooden and steel mining frames that kind of look like big oil rigs. And if you opt for a self-guided tour, you're really left to your own devices. You can even walk into an underground tunnel, feeling the blue sky and the fresh air get further and further away in the distance. At the very end, there's this steel viewing cage. If you go inside and you look down, there is an old mine shaft and a 500-foot drop. Hello down there! I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. This episode was co-produced with Travel Nevada. Today, we're stepping into the shoes of miners who once labored in the Nevada mountains, hoping to strike it rich. And we're going to do that not by picking up a history book or walking through a tidy museum exhibit. We are going to get our hands dirty with a trip to the Tonopah Historic Mining Park. After this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. 
opened for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. We don't require hard hats. You know, you should consider bringing a good pair of shoes with you. You're walking around an old mine site, so there's old rusty metal and glass and and everything else that goes right along with it. This is Jeff Martin. He is a guide at the Tonopah Historic Mining Park. And there is an awful lot for a visitor to see. The park is 113 acres. There are old giant wooden and iron head frames, the the things that look like oil rigs. They sat on top of mine shafts and helped haul material in and out. There are all the old buildings on the site. There are warehouses. There are miners' cabins. When we called Jeff up, he told us that before he takes visitors out on tours or lets them roam off on their own like I was doing, there's one thing he really likes to point out. It's a spot on the ground, really just a smudge of black and silver and rust. And to the untrained eye, to to my eyes, it doesn't look like much. But a prospector a hundred years ago would have seen dollar signs. You can stand and look at a rock face and you can see several veins of silver that are still in the ground. So it kind of gives you an idea of, of what they saw and what they were looking for. Basically, you can still see remnants of the silver on the rock face along with all the color that uh, was probably what brought the attention to Jim Butler, of course, and his borough, to start mining there. So this is where our story starts. Over 100 years ago, in the year 1900, a man named Jim Butler is traveling through the desert. He is a guy in his 40s, pretty jovial. He farms hay for a living. Occasionally, he works as a self-taught district attorney. It was a different time. You could, you know, pick up different jobs. And Jim is traveling with his donkey. And he's trying to camp at the base of this mountain. And the donkey is wandering off, refusing to listen, just doing general donkey stuff. And Jim, in a fit of frustration, picks up a rock. He picked it up the throat, one of them, and he found that the rock was unusually heavy. And laying everywhere was this just spectacular, highly mineralized quartz. And he basically just started picking up samples off the ground. Jim took the samples back with him to be tested. And lo and behold, they were chock a block full of silver. Jim and his wife, Belle, hightailed it back to the area, and they staked out their first mining claim, picking out which silver veins they wanted to call their own. They also leased out claims to other small-time miners looking to strike it rich. Basically, everyone got to work. They were getting down a couple hundred feet. So when you think of it, them only working by hand, pickaxe and shovel, minimal dynamite for blasting, to look at the work that they were able to accomplish and the money that they made was... I mean, I'd have to say it's not comparable to anything. These guys were really at it. The mines started paying off pretty much immediately. In that first year, they produced 750000 in gold and silver. That's more than $20 million in today's money. But that was just the beginning. That kind of big money attracted big business. And by the end of 1901, Jim had sold off the property to a mining developer, 
who put in the serious heavy machinery that you can still see there today. And that is when things kicked into high gear. Jim Muller's find could not have come at a better time. Not just for him, but really for the entire state of Nevada. They've got a nickname. It's called the Silver State. And it's not some kind of exaggeration or metaphor. The state was literally founded around the silver mining business. The discovery of a giant silver load in 1859, called the Comstock Load, drew thousands of people to what was then just the Nevada Territory. So many people settled there to mine the silver that Nevada was able to apply for statehood. But the thing about mines is that over time, you dig up all the stuff and they dry up. Just a few decades later, the entire state's economy was in dire straits. Tonopah's claim to fame is where the silver that saved the state. So the state of Nevada only been around for a short 40 years or so and was on the brink of bankruptcy. But Butler's discovery right here on the mountain brought back the economy of the state. As the economy boomed, a city blossomed around the mine. Tonopah started out small, just a couple hundred miners and their families living in tents or shacks, sleeping on the floor of local saloons. Mining was hard and dangerous work, but they still had to make time for a little bit of fun. One example was the town's first 4th of July celebration in 1902. Its special guest was none other than Jim Butler's donkey. He was set up in a little pen with a tent covered in American flags, wearing a sign that said, Me and Jim found Tonopah. As the mine grew, so did the city. The railroad came. A baseball team formed. Multiple dueling newspapers set up. The whole place was starting to get classed up. They were actually kind of in a competition to become the San Francisco of the Nevada desert. I mean, high society, theaters and opera houses. All in all, it's estimated that the precious metals the mine produced would be valued today at $1 trillion. T, with a T, a trillion. Tonopah got the nickname the Queen of the Silver Camps. But here's the thing about mines. As we said, they dry up. And the boom times cannot last forever. Like any mining community, it has its peaks and its valleys where maybe one section of the mines are, are playing out, but then they're discovering other sections and it starts back up again. Things really started to slow down in the 1930s. During the Great Depression, there were fluctuations in silver prices and on into the 40s and 50s and even beyond all of the silver that was most accessible, the stuff up near the top levels of the rock, it had all already been stripped away. It was getting harder and harder to find the precious metals. People still tried. The reclusive billionaire Howard Hughes came in the 60s and 70s, and his companies led a bunch of exploratory expeditions around the Tonopah mines. They did not find much. Hughes did find love, and he got married to Hollywood actress Jean Peters in secret at the nearby L&L Motel in Tonopah. Shame the Clown Motel wasn't open yet. Meanwhile, over time, 
the mine and the town itself started to lose steam. Deeper depths require more money. Feasibility wasn't there for them to continue. New discoveries as far as some of this exploration that was being done just wasn't panning out. So, yeah, the, the, the town uh, slowly started to, to fade away. By the 1980s, the mine had changed hands a number of times. The last mining company to own the property was a company called Echo Bay out of Canada. The property was really wide open and uh, it had become the kids' playground. They wanted to offload the property and it was basically gifted or donated and it ended up with the town of Tonopah. Once they acquired the old site, the town of Tonopah made a kind of amazing decision. They decided to preserve the mining history that had formed the town by basically leaving the mine exactly as it was. We like to do what's called arrested decay, um, where we're trying to keep the property just as it looked from the early mining through today. When you walk around, you really get a good feel for what it would have been like as a miner walking around on the side of that mountain there. The mining park has added safe underground experiences like a short, recently reinforced tunnel you can walk through. That's the one with the viewing cage that looks out over a 500-foot drop. Today, the park is working on renovating more areas of the site, like a sorting house where chunks of silver ore would have been sorted by hand, or the carpenter's shop where they would have made tunnel reinforcements and head frames and all of the other materials for the mine. We're proud that we still have everything that we have up there and that we are able to share it with all of our visitors. When you look at these giant head frames that stand on the side of the mountain, these really are monuments to Nevada's past. Jeff also points out, though, that that mining is not only in Nevada's past. Even in the last few years, mining companies still come around looking for silver or gold deposits in Tonopah. Or even maybe the next big thing. In that process of them looking, and especially in this entire central Nevada area, they came across lithium in several different locations, and we could boom again for lithium. The next big boom is probably not silver, but it might be lithium, used in rechargeable batteries, what we need to build a fleet of electric cars. So the next time you visit Nevada, walking along the desert with your donkey, keep your eyes peeled, pick up the rocks, and consider bringing a shovel. The Tonopah Historic Mining Camp is open daily from 9 to 5. Guided tours are available on foot or in an off-road vehicle. If you want a more high-speed experience or have mobility challenges or perhaps maybe wore flip-flops, you can find more information by visiting their website, tonopahminingpark.com. We'll drop a link in the show notes. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. 
This episode was produced by Amanda McGowan. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There is a link in the episode description. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure they are always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. Of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radio Lab adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts.